Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. Well, since Pentecost here at Word of Life, we've been on quite the journey. In fact, as I prepared for this morning, I went back and looked at our sermons during the season. The season after Pentecost, we began with the experience of God, and then we, we went on a spirit-led journey into all truth, and then we dove into the topics of demons, spirits, and the fall of Satan. <laughs> Let me tell you, the YouTube views on those videos are a little higher than the other ones. Stuff is intriguing, right? And then we got to be called into uh, the mission of going and doing, inspired by the parable of the Good Samaritan. And then last week, all of us were invited to be everyday mystics, inspired by that choice of Mary to sit with Jesus. It has been a good, rich season at Word of Life. So if you're new here, or maybe you've just been missing out on the last couple months, I encourage you to go back online, find those sermons, dive in, they've been good. And I just say, let the good times roll this morning, right? Let, let the train keep on rolling down the tracks. Can we have another good morning at Word of Life this morning? As we dive into the sermon this morning, we're gonna talk about prayer. That's right. Our lectionary reading for today is out of Luke chapter 11. We heard it earlier this morning, but it's been a while. So I'm just gonna start with the first four verses. Why don't you just hear the word of the Lord this morning? Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Amen. This morning, we're going to talk about prayer. We're going to talk about the prayer, the prayer of all prayers, the prayer that Jesus gives us in Matthew 6 in its fullness and then here in Luke 11 uh, in our passage today. In fact, the Lord's prayer has been called the perfect prayer prayer. That will be the title of this morning's message, the perfect prayer. And prayer is assumed to be the foundational practice of a people of faith. To pray is not only to assume that you believe in God, but to go beyond just belief in God, to connect your life with God, to involve God, or should I say, recognize God's involvement in your life. And just as life is a journey, so prayer is a journey. How many of you have been on a journey in your prayer life, right? You don't pray the same way you prayed at the beginning of this faith journey, right? And most definitely that's true of life as well. As a people of faith, prayer and life become mingled together. They are experienced together. And just as in life, also in prayer, we need a guide on this journey, Amen. And our guide is none other than you know Jesus Christ. Amen. So Jesus is our guide. And therefore we have in our reading today, the disciples looking to their rabbi, their teacher, their leader, their king, their guide, Jesus. And they asked the question, teach us to pray. Teach us how to pray, Jesus. And you'll recognize that Jesus doesn't respond to this question 
by saying, just talk to God, right? Now, can I just clarify that talking to God is not a bad thing? Can I say to you this morning that talking to God is a good thing, that you should talk to God, that God enjoys your voice? But this is not how Jesus answers the question. The disciples say to Jesus in Luke 11, chapter, chapter 11, verse one, he says this. The disciples say, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. What's going on here? The disciples are not jealous that John's disciples know how to pray and they don't know how to pray. You see, John was also a teacher, a rabbi. John, do you, we're talking about John, John the Baptist, John, Jesus' cousin, who was a rabbi, a teacher, leading a movement in their day. And John also had disciples who were following him, who were learning from him the ways to live their life, who were being formed and shaped by John the Baptist. And Jesus' disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray like John has taught his disciples to pray. Now, the disciples knew how to pray. It's not that they didn't know how to pray. They were Jewish. They've spent their whole life praying. They've lived their life within a community that's centered around prayer. It's not that they didn't know how to pray. It, it was just like today. In today's world, with, with the church, there are a diversity of voices, leaders, preachers, pastors, theologians, a variety of opinions and perspectives when it comes to interpreting scripture, answering the question, who is God? How does God interact with us? What is God doing in the world today? What is God about to do? And how therefore should we live our lives because of these perspectives and interpretations, right? A lot of churches say a lot of different things. It's true. A lot of perspectives out there. It was the same way in first century Palestine with Jesus. There were Jewish teachers, rabbis, who had different interpretations of the scripture that taught different theological perspectives about who God is, what God is doing, and therefore how we should live our lives accordingly. And this is what the disciples are asking Jesus. Rabbi, as our teacher, we see that you have a unique perspective, a unique interpretation of what God is doing in and through Israel and in and through the scriptures, and we are asking you to teach us a prayer that will form and shape how we see God, how we understand what God is doing and therefore how we should live our lives. That is what the disciples are asking Jesus to do so that the prayer given by their teacher would shape and form their followers. And should I say this, the prayer given by Jesus is meant to shape and form us as his followers. So what does this prayer shape and form us into? Well, into a people who live in the same kind of intimacy that Jesus had with the Father. You know, in Luke 11, the word there is translated basically as that Hebrew word, Abba. It, it comes down to this word that in the English means daddy. Daddy. So we can approach God with the same intimacy that Jesus had with his father, a oneness, right? A unity. In fact, Jesus prays that we would have that same kind of unity as he has with the father. But at the same time, we can approach God with this kind of intimacy of a, of a, a young son and his daddy, that kind of innocent intimacy in the same breath. 
Jesus calls us to be a kind of people who worship God as Israel has always worshiped God as the set apart one, the holy one, the only one, the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who was and is and will always be. Can I get an amen this morning? (laughs) And as we approach God with both intimacy and reverence and awe and wonder, We also are a people who long for the kingdom of God to come, for heaven and earth to collide. We are a people who believe that life is not a closed reality, but an open reality where heaven and earth can can collide and kiss and where we can see heaven break out into earth. We are that kind of people. We are becoming the kind of people who believe that the hungry will be fed, that the dead will be brought to life because of the bread of life, that the weary are strengthened, that sinners are forgiven, that the lost are reconciled, broken relationships are mended, the oppressed are set free, that we can experience in this world where evil seems so tangible, the salvation and the the restoration and the redemption of God in the here and now. This is the kind of people that Jesus is calling us to be. This was his perspective on who God is and what God is doing in the world. And this is who he wants us to be shaped as the people who not only believe these things, but live our lives towards making these things a reality here and now. We have prayer school coming up. And this is the premise of prayer school. I would say if I had to if I had to sum it up like a spoiler for you, it would be this gift. I've been through not just a prayer school, but many uh, prayer schools here at Word of Life. And, And I'll just say this, Pastor Brian will give you the details at the end of service on how to register. We have an online prayer school and an in-person prayer school coming up. If you haven't attended or it's just been a while and you're ready for a refresh, plug into prayer school. There's a gift that we get in prayer school. This statement, which has revolutionized my prayer life and the prayer life of so many. And it's this, the primary purpose of prayer is not to get God to do what you think God ought to do. Think about that. I'm just going to pause as the psalmist says, Selah. The primary purpose of prayer is not to get God to do what you think God ought to do. The primary purpose of prayer is to be properly formed. Jesus knew this. Where do you think Pastor Brian got it from? (laughs) That's what we see here. The disciples are saying, Jesus, form us. Give us a prayer to form and shape us. We need a prayer to, to be properly formed. And Jesus gives them the perfect prayer, the Lord's Prayer. And throughout our faith tradition, there have been many beautiful prayers that have been birthed from this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, that we've been given as gifts to continue to shape and form us in the ways of Jesus. This is what I love about liturgy. Oh man, it gives me like a, man, I'm not trying to take all your prayer school material here, but I just can't help it. It's like I'm a vine and I need somewhere to cling on to, to grow. And it gives us a trellis to to, to cling our lives to, to grow our lives around. Liturgy, well, I'll just say this. We're all being formed and shaped by something. Whether implicitly or explicitly, intentionally, unintentionally, we are being shaped and formed. Walter Brueggemann says we're being scripted. 
We're being shaped and formed by something. But can I just say this, that the role of liturgy in our lives, when we commit to a proper liturgy, a good liturgy, is the hope that we become a properly formed people. That we can choose what we're being shaped and formed by instead of just being just tossed around by the world and the culture that is, we say, no, this is a good liturgy. This is a beautiful liturgy. This, this liturgy points me to Jesus and I'm gonna commit myself to these prayers, to, to this rhythm of reading and scripture, to, to these teachings, and I'm going to commit myself to a proper liturgy that I might become properly formed. You could say it like this, to boil it all down, you are what you pray. You are what you pray. The liturgy that many of us receive in prayer school is a morning liturgy of prayer. We start there. And what I love about this liturgy is it gives me these beautiful prayers that have become my own language. And in the middle of all of these beautiful prayers, including the Lord's Prayer, the Prayer of Confession, the Apostles' Creed, Psalm 23, the Prayer of St. Francis, the Prayer of Thanksgiving, nestled right in the middle of all these prayers is this section of prayer called Petition and Intercession. Petition and Intercession. In other words, time to just talk to God. I told you, it's okay just to talk to God. There's... Even in, in, our, in our liturgy that many of us have committed ourselves to, we, there's still this moment where we just get to hang out and talk to God. We get to ask God for things. Things that we need, things that people in our lives need. Have you ever heard the saying, God is not a cosmic vending machine? I agree, God is not a cosmic vending machine. But here in our reading in Luke 11, Jesus addresses asking God for things. Let's continue our reading this morning. Verse 5. And Jesus said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and you go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread for a friend of mine has arrived and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, do not bother me. The door has already been locked and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. At least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. Jesus tells us to ask God for things. And I agree with Jesus that we should go to God in prayer when we are in need. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We can ask God for things. We should ask God for things. I know that some of us on our journey, that, that's become a place of tension for us. Can I even ask God for things anymore? Yes, yes, yes. But as we read this parable at first glance, it, it, seemed, it bothered me a little bit, right? This parable, and that's what, that's what parables should do, by the way. They should kind of bother you and make you dig in a little bit ask what is going on here? Because in this parable, as I read it, God is portrayed as a grumpy neighbor, yeah. right? Who's in his house already and you're bothering him at night when he's trying to rest. He's sleeping, right? You wake him up and you ask for something you need. 
In fact, this person's asking for bread so he can show hospitality to a stranger, to fulfill his own calling in life, <laughs> to be missional to the stranger, right? And he's saying, I need some bread. And the God who's the grumpy neighbor says, leave me alone. Stop bothering me. He says, no, but I really need some bread. Come on, God, are you in there? Can you wake up? And, and God is portrayed as, as the one who after, it's like my daughter, daddy, 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 daddy. Sorry, this is, this is the reality here. If I have my, this is my prayer book phone. And I'm like this. And my kids over here, daddy, daddy, daddy. And my wife is like, Jacob, your daughter's speaking to you. Oh, yeah, what do you want, you know? This is like, this is what's being portrayed here. The grumpy neighbor, he's sleeping and the guy at the door is on. Hey neighbor, hey God, I need some bread. Hey God, I need some sustenance. Hey God, I need you to equip me to what you've called me to. Hey God, I need you to help out here. Hey God. And finally God is like, oh God, would you stop whining? Would you just stop already? And begrudgingly opens the door and he gives you the bread and slams it back. This is a caricature of God, of course, that I'm painting here. And this is not who God is. Amen. Thank you, Perry. This is not who God is. This is not even, this is not who God is showing, this is not who Jesus is showing God to be in this parable, in fact. If you keep reading, we heard earlier this morning, Jesus then goes on to talk about sinful parents. You have the grumpy neighbor, then you have the sinful parent, the evil parent, who when their child asks for a fish, they don't give them a snake or when they ask for an egg, they don't give them a scorpion. They says, if you sinful parents know how to give your children good gifts, how much more then will your father in heaven, your good heavenly parent provide for you the greatest gift, the Holy Spirit, when you ask. Jesus is using a teaching technique popular among Jewish rabbis of his day. In fact, he uses this all throughout scripture. It's a lesser, greater comparison way of teaching. It's saying this, it's saying, well, if the grumpy neighbor would still provide bread to his friend at midnight and an evil parent knows how to still provide for their kids good gifts, those are the lessers, then how much more will the greater, your heavenly parent who is with you and for you and always caring for you, provide for what you need when you ask? This is what Jesus is trying to show us. But do we have to beg? Because apparently in this passage, it seems to me that we do. And I've seen this passage, Luke 11 and Luke 18, the unjust judge where the widow comes and says, would you give me justice? And he doesn't fear God. He's kind of an unjust judge. And he says, no. And then she comes back, no, no. And it says because of her persistence, because she kept begging him, finally he gives in and gives her justice. It's these two passages that I've seen used more than any to paint a picture of our prayer life, which is based on the foundation of desperation, that we have to pray desperately enough to move heaven, to stir up God, to wake a sleeping God, to move on our behalf. And I just think that we're missing the point. I don't have time to get into first century culture of shame. And even the word here, persistence, could be translated as boldness or even shamelessness. I don't think we have to get into the weeds here with all of that. I, I just think that we can all agree that when we look at the whole of scripture and who Jesus shows us God to be, that God is not the one who is sleeping. We are. 
God is not the one who is slumbering. We are. God is not the one who needs to be moved to action. We are. That God is the God who is always at work in the world. That God is the God who fills all things with himself, who is continually coming towards us and knocking at our door, offering us the bread of life. That God is not the one who is asleep and slumbering and need to be awoken. We are the ones who need to be awakened to the goodness of God that need to be stirred to action in the world as his hands and feet. Amen. Amen. God is not the one who needs the persistence in prayer. We are the ones who need to pray persistently. Why? Because though we may know and believe that all we need is found in Jesus, and though we believe that God has saved the world and forgiven us and will provide for us and our identity is found in him, we are made new in him. Though we believe that the old things have passed away and behold, all things are made new and we believe that he will deliver us from evil, we still find ourselves carrying our anxieties, our fears, our jealousy and contempt, our darkness and our doubt into every tomorrow. And so we need once again to come back in prayer and ask for this bread of life to nourish our weary souls. Though we believe that the kingdom has come, the hungry are fed, the high places have been low and the low places have been made high, that the crooked way has been made straight, that Jesus has come to set the captive free, to heal the sick, open blind eyes, though we've seen the goodness of God in the land of the living already in our lives, we still are ones who wake up in the morning with worry and fear and our world is still filled with hatred and recycled revenge. And we still deal with insecurities and jealousy and lust and greed and laziness and apathy. And so though we know these things are true and have been done in Christ, though we know the victory has been won, we still every day come back to the place of prayer and saying, God, just remind me what you've done again. Remind me of your goodness again. I need to be reminded that everything's going to be okay. I need to be reminded that it is well, that it is well, that it is well. God is not the one who needs persistence in prayer. We are. It is not God who needs to be reminded that we are in need. It is we who need to be reminded that God is the source of our provision for our need. Can I say that again? It is not God who needs to be who needs us to be persistent in prayer. It is we who need prayer persistently, unceasingly, as Paul says. It is not God who needs to be reminded of our need. It is we who need to be reminded that God is the source of provision for our need. So remain persistent in prayer. As Paul says, pray without ceasing. How many of you thought that's difficult? I, growing up, I thought, pray without ceasing. How do you do that? I grew up in like a charismatic Pentecostal church. So I thought, well, do you just pray in tongues all the time? People looking at you kind of like, what's going 
going on with him, you know? I thought, and then I'm carrying on a conversation, trying to pray in tongues under my breath. Yeah, this is difficult, Paul. I don't know, how do I pray without ceasing? This is like a tall order. I barely pray every day, once a day. My goodness, much less pray without ceasing. That's why Henry Nowen helped me so much with this. I think this is going to be helpful for you this morning. Henry Nowen says this, we can convert our unceasing thinking into unceasing prayer by making our inner monologue into a continuing dialogue with our God who is the source of all love. Ooh, that's good. Oh, that's good. We can convert our unceasing anxiety into unceasing prayer by making our inner monologue into a continuing dialogue with our God who is the source of all love. We can make our unceasing fear into unceasing prayer. We can convert our unceasing doubt into unceasing prayer. We can convert our unceasing stress into unceasing prayer. We can convert our unceasing hunger for things to be made right in this world into unceasing prayer. We can convert whatever you want to put in the blank that keeps you up at night, that keeps your brain thinking nonstop into unceasing prayer by making this inner monologue into a dialogue with our God, the source of all life. You know how this works? It works like this. Some of you have experienced this. Oh God, I just got another bill. <laughs> they just keep coming, right? Piling up. I don't even want to check the mail anymore. If I don't check the mail, well, then the creditors call. <laughs> And we know where it goes from there. And the kids, I mean, the kids have been in the hospital three times this month. It seems like they always get hurt or sick on the weekends or in the middle of the night. I haven't even met our deductible yet. We, were, we weren't even being, I could barely make ends meet as it was. And there's been layoffs at work since COVID because our company has never been the same since. And I'm just waiting for the call next that I'm going to lose my job. And if I lose my job, well, then how am I going to pay these bills? I can't even pay them now. If I lose my job, we'll lose the house. I can't afford the mortgage, much less rent. Rent's gone up these days. And then where will my kids live? I, what will be of me? I'm 40 years old and I don't have this figured out yet. I'm, I'm a failure. I don't even know why she still loves me. My kids, they, I don't know why they look up to me. And the inner monologue just cycles over and over and over and over. But we can turn that unceasing thinking, that inner monologue, into unceasing prayer with a good God who is always with us and for us and looking to care for us. And our inner monologue begins to turn into, oh, another bill showed up. I, I don't know, I can't even keep count anymore. Oh, I'm feeling so overwhelmed. Lord Jesus, I know that you're with me. I just pause in your presence in this moment. I, I, I cast my cares upon him who cares for me. Lord Jesus, you said you'd never leave me or forsake me. You'd be with me always, even to the end of the age. Lord, I don't know. The kids have been in the hospital three times already this month. I don't know. The, the, the company's been laying people off. I wonder if I'm next. But Lord Jesus, no matter what, I just, I, I trust in you. That if one door closes, you'll open a next. Lord Jesus, you're, you're more faithful than I am. I know that you'll be faithful in my life. I just give you this burden. And, and you said I could receive your burden, which is light and easy. And what if we lose the house? What would we do? 
Jesus, I'm reminded you didn't have a place to lay your head. Hmm. But yet, God took care of you. Lord, I just pray that you would take care of us. I just, I'll do my best, Lord, but you're gonna have to make up the rest. Lord, I trust in you. And you just keep going in that. Lord, I'm a failure, and, but I'm reminded that you said I'm more than Victoria. I'm more than a conqueror in you, Jesus. That you've made me new. That my identity is found in you and not what I can accomplish. That, that I'm following you and that's enough for my kids to look up to me, Lord Jesus. That you're teaching me how to love my wife despite my shortcomings. You know, this is the dialogue that can exist in your life. Not just in the 30, moment, 30 minutes of prayer if you've committed yourself to a liturgy, but unceasing in your life. As much as you're thinking, you can be praying by just inviting God and recognizing his presence in your life, his involvement. And you may not understand why God does what he does when he does, but the point is that we trust that God is good. Because if we, the lesser, know how to give good gifts, come on, our good God is gonna give us all that we need. Amen. Amen. So here are my closing thoughts for you. I love that today is Psalm 55 because the psalmist, he does this for us. The psalmist paints a picture of where we can bring our requests to God, even if we're upset, even if they're horrid, terrible things that we're feeling and dealing with, that we're to bring those things to the place of prayer these are, this is how the psalmist, you just saw what I did here with this dialogue. This is how the psalmist interacts with God. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and I moan. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling have come upon me and horror overwhelms me. Then the psalmist reminds himself, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. And he closes the Psalms with, I can trust you. I can trust in the Lord. I can trust in the Lord. Cast your burdens and he will sustain you. I can trust in the Lord. Cast your anxieties on him and he will sustain you. You can trust in the Lord. Cast your fears on him. You can trust them. Philippians 4, 6 again. This is so good. Just, just receive this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. I want to pause there. With thanksgiving. You know, you normally thank someone after they've already accomplished the thing that they've done for you, right? So if you need a piece of bread, you normally thank your neighbor after they give you the bread. But here it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You see that everything has been accomplished on the cross 2,000 years ago in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. We are just seeing the fullness of what has been accomplished come to pass. Hello, amen? That the kingdom has been inaugurated. The kingdom is here. We're just waiting to see how it all unfurls, that whatever you need in your life has already been given. It's already been accomplished. God's goodness already exists. 
We just have to remind ourselves to trust in that goodness and provision with thanksgiving, make our requests known to God. I don't know how you're going to work it out, God, but I thank you that you are. (laughs) I'm confident in your goodness. And so my heart is full of thanksgiving, even before I see the way that it's all going to work out. This is what Simone Vale says, this brilliant mystic. She says this in her meditation of Luke 11. I love it. To ask for that which exists, that which exists really, infallibly, eternally, quite independently of our prayer, that is the perfect petition. To ask for that which exists, that which really exists is the perfect prayer. And all you need is already taken care of. In this moment, all you need is found here. Can I say that to you? This, you know what Eucharist means? Thanksgiving. This is a Thanksgiving meal that we're about to participate in and everyone is welcome. In just a moment, we're gonna make our confession of faith and pray a prayer of repentance. And then we are gonna pray the Lord's prayer because well, that's fitting. And then an usher, we're going to stand and ushers are going to release you row by row and you're going to come down and someone is going to say to you, the body of Christ broken for you. This is the bread of life that Jesus promises us. And and then you're going to take the bread and then another person is going to say, the blood of Christ shed for you. And you're going to take that bread and dip it in the cup. And then you're going to receive into yourself all you need. The very life of Christ. Now, I'm not saying that your fear, your anxiety, your worry, your need is insignificant, just wiping it away. No, I'm saying bring your anxiety, bring your fear, bring your need, bring your chaos, bring your doubt, bring bring whatever it is that you have to this table and let Jesus be all you need in this moment because he is present here in this bread, in this cup. Amen? Would you stand on your feet this morning? Would you join me in confessing our faith together? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Most merciful God, We confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. And God is gracious 
to all who confess their sins and in humility ask for mercy. In the name of Jesus Christ, I say to you, your sins are forgiven. And now let us pray. The prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, this perfect prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. And it is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have tried to follow and you who have failed, you who have much faith and you who have little, you who have been here often and you who have not been here long, come for it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. The body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ shed for you. Amen.